Hello, and welcome to Dare to Know, interviews with quality and reliability thought leaders. I'm Tim Rogers, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Perry Perendo. Perry is the founder and owner of Perry's Solutions, which was created to help companies achieve product and process breakthroughs using design of experiments. He began developing and obtaining results from DOE at the General Motors Research Labs in 1986, and has been helping to develop the next generation of experts through his teaching at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, since 1996. Perry has also worked as a design engineer and project manager in the aerospace, defense, and medical device industries. He received his mechanical engineering degree from the University of Minnesota. Perry, welcome. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Tim. I'm excited to be part of this project today with you and share what I can with your group. Perry, your consulting business has been focused on new product development, specifically helping companies design robust and high reliability products. It seems like a lot of companies really struggle with the uncertainty and unpredictability. And in the end, they often fail to meet quality and reliability goals. What do you think is preventing companies from achieving greater success in new product development? I would say the big thing, Tim, is that a lot of organizations don't necessarily have an openness to learning. Uh, I think when I look at a new product development, it's a new product because it's never existed before. So there is going to be some learning that needs to happen. Uh, and I think a lot of organizations feel, number one, they're either well-educated or number two, a lot of experience with a particular type of product. And so they don't expect to learn. They expect it to be very low risk. And any new product's gonna require some learning. So I think part of it's just the attitude, um, kind of keeping the ego in check that, yeah, we're gonna learn. We are gonna be surprised with some things. And then the second thing holding them back is if they do have that attitude, is what's the most efficient way to do that learning. Uh, the traditional, I'll call scientific method or one factor at a time testing really is an inefficient way to get the big breakthroughs and do the deep learning that's required that I find in a lot of really breakthrough uh, new product development. Yeah, you know, any new, any new product has something new and different about it, even if it's based on an existing platform, right? That is true. There's in my, some of my background, we talk about the reuse of design. And so there's going to be some reuse. Nothing's ever entirely brand new, but it's those extra features and functionality that we're trying to bring forward. And sometimes we have some pretty good ideas of how that'll work. And, and we're able to predict real well how that should work and what it takes to make it work. Other times we get, uh, we can get surprised by the, the lack of performance and how do we actually can, um, make it do what we were desiring to do for the customer for that product. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I like the other part you said, which kind of reminded me of the topic of company culture. That seems like there are some organizations, some companies that are just more open-minded, you know, about, about continuous improvement and learning and so on. Do you have any advice about how to deal with uh, companies that don't seem open to learning? Uh, the, when you ask that, I've obviously dealt with a lot of uh, organizations over my years of consulting and teaching. And um, 
you know, the funniest thing about that is the people that people in organizations that are open to it and embrace the learning and, they, and that, that risk that's involved with the new product, they tend to survive. And the ones that are less open about that tend to struggle. Uh, and there's a number of those organizations that I've seen already go out of business in a pretty short period of time. It's kind of a Darwinian survival of the fittest, huh? Yeah. And I, I think there's a, they talk about a growth mentality. Uh, I think organizations and people that have a growth mentality, open to learning, open to new experiences, are, they're going to be more sustainable than organizations that are not. So it really becomes that simple. So I really don't push organizations too hard if they don't seem to have that culture, that mm-hmm. open-mindedness. If there's a pocket that is, uh, I'll work with them for sure. But if the entire organization is against it, uh, it's an uphill battle and, and not worth a whole lot of effort uh, to try and overcome that from my point of view. That makes sense. You know, Perry, it seems like a lot of companies prioritize time to market over quality and reliability, and they sometimes use their customers as beta testers and then fix problems, you know, in the next version of the product. What do you, what do you say to people who tell you that they don't have time for quality during new product development? I think you you make a great point, and and with my background in project management, I do believe in the you know time to market, get it out there quick is is a priority. It is important, but it's important from the point of view is we only know what the customer wants if the customer has some experience with our product, and so being kind of having this um, holy grail type product concept, and sometimes it's called gold plating. Gold plate something up front without even having any kind of field experience is pretty risky. So you should get out some, I call core functionality product early, Mm -hmm. rush with, you know, rush more with that um, is to me is okay. But what's really the the downfall is a product that's not working as you expect it to. And it's not robust to different foreseeable use environments, Mm -hmm. whether that's high temperature a vibration environment, uh, different functional modes. Uh, you know, I, I think just if it's not executing or performing the way you designed it to or intended to design it to, that's when customers can get frustrated and not give you the desired, here's additional functionality that make me pay more and uh, more deeply want your product. They get away from that versus the frustration type um, lack of performance issues. And one type of feedback obviously is valuable for the company future. The other one is just trying to survive them and, and again, get a, a functioning product versus a uh, one that can more deeply meet the needs of the cl- customer. You know, I think you make a good point. I think a lot of companies start out just trying to achieve basic functionality and then they worry about long-term reliability, you know, in a field application. They worry about that later. And I think that really depends upon the maturity of the market for those types of products. You know, the story goes, some of my medical device background uh, for, say, pacemakers, the early days of pacemakers, the, the alternative to that device was death. So if there's <laughs> right. no alternative, you know, maybe we don't have to get a whole lot of uh, reliability out of that first device. But if you're going into a very mature market, now I'll pick the automotive market, for example, no one would want a vehicle these days that 
is going to break down every every 10 miles or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that depth of reliability is an expectation from the customer based on the maturity of the product or at least competing products. Right, right. Barry, I want to come back to uh, something you've been a strong advocate for, um, and that's design of experiments. I, I'm sure many of our listeners have heard of DOE at some point in their career, but they may not currently be using it. Can you explain the value of design of experiments and why folks should be giving that a closer look? Yeah, to me, a lot of the value, uh, what's normally sold is just the efficiency uh, piece of design of experiments. Um, but I think it, the efficiency piece is, is a pretty limiting view. Uh, what you really get from it, uh, I think that's of value, is the, the ability to look at simultaneously at multiple inputs and simultaneously measure multiple outputs and being able to co-optimize those things together. Right. A lot of new product breakthroughs are limited uh, by another advantage of the design experiments approach which is the ability to see uh, interactions between variables. And particularly when I get called in or when a, a project is so-called hitting the wall and not making progress, uh, it's often due to uh, the interactions between input variables. And the only tool I've seen to be able to decipher that in a short period of time is design of experiments. So you have the ability to look at more variables in uh, more than one variable at a time uh, effectively, and then also learn a, a, a type of information, which is these interactions, which can really provide the, the massive performance and reliability breakthroughs that most companies are after in many of today's mature product offerings. So Perry, what you're saying is that DOE actually is a way of saving time. It's a huge opportunity to save time. Even though it's a structured method and statistical method, which people think, how can that ever be quicker than uh, you know, our other methods that we've used in the past? But it's a huge time saver. What I found in my training with companies in both on the college level as well as in the uh, doing teachings in industry uh, is that for a basically a one month long DOE project, uh, it doesn't mean it's a full-time effort, but it usually takes, for a small project, it can take that much calendar time. Um, it will save overall project schedule about three to four months. Wow. Three to four months. That's impressive. And when that's in a new product development where schedule is key and we're trying to rush to market, it fits, you know, it provides a higher performing product, more information, more learning in a much quicker time. You know, Perry, I, I think a lot of people may think of DOE as a manufacturing tool, and it's something that I've certainly used um, in a factory environment, but you're, you're using it in, in product development and R&D applications. What's, is, what's, what is uh, different about using DOE in product development as opposed to the factory? Yeah, that's a really good point, Tim. I think the thing that, uh, because most of my experience is in that R&D setting with using DOE. Um, you know, the principles are, are common, um, but the, the biggest difference I see is that if you have a, a need for DOE in a manufacturing setting, mm -hmm. usually it's a poor yield 
or a field failure, a field recall type issue is surfaced. So you know the requirement that you can't meet and you need to get resolved. In a R&D setting or new product development setting, one of the big differences is where do you spend your time on a DOE? And you really have to think more risk-based, not on failures you've experienced, but on challenges you're having or mm-hmm. being able to anticipate those, um, those areas of performance challenge. And that's the biggest thing of, you know, that I see is the difference is being able to identify a good and valuable project early on in R&D. And yet at the same time, I don't think that uh, the very first test should be a big DOE matrix. The language I use for it is I think you should play around a little first, but all of a sudden you start getting a sense that I think there's there's some conflicts maybe in our requirements that we need to get resolved and find that sweet spot. And it's finding where those the areas in our design, and that could be design of a product or design of a process, start to understand those conflicts so that you can um, then design a DOE that can can focus in on the appropriate areas. You know, Perry, as you were talking, I started thinking about FMEA. Can you can you comment on how DOE can can complement or work effectively with an existing FMEA process? I totally. I think the um, you know the FMEA process can allow you to expose those higher risks uh, for meeting requirements. That's how I think of risk. Mm-hmm. And if you see certain of those requirements that are going to be a challenge for you, if you basically, you can't look at it in the uh, uh, FMEA framework itself, but when you extract out, here's the high risk areas, some of those high risks are going to be contradictions. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, when I worked in the defense industry, you know, we want to, a faster moving vehicle, uh, but we also want more armor protection, which is going to weigh more. <laughs> right. So there's a kind of, an, I'll call a natural contradiction that you can identify if both are going to be a challenge, you're going to probably need to raise your game in both areas simultaneous, not just take the obvious solution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's trying, to, again, being able to be comfortable having those conversations, being comfortable with the conflict and yet open-minded enough, again, as we talked earlier, to we're going to need to learn about this and recognize as a challenge and set up some strategies to, uh, again, find that design sweet spot. And the more and more uh, that I'm involved in product development, it's how quickly can you identify those future conflicts and get the DOE resolved before you've lost a lot of calendar time and, and uh, development budget. Right, right. You know, Perry, we were talking before about resistance um, to a, a looking at quality during product development, uh, including things like uh, having a culture that doesn't really encourage learning and so on, specifically related to DOE in product development. Um, have, what kind of resistance have you seen as far as that's concerned? Are, are there um, what, what kinds of um, pushback have you gotten from people when you try to suggest that DOE is the right tool for them? Yeah, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind there. The first one is that I actually kind of appreciate having the resistors um, <laughs> just because they, they're going to ask the tough questions, and that's what we're trying to do is get solid, reliable, long-term answers. So if they mm-hmm. 
push back a little bit, they're going to raise up good concerns that can go into our DOE test strategy. Hmm. So I kind of appreciate finding those people to a point. Um, but usually the resistance comes from, you know, I got a lot of, lot of work already to do. I need to do this test. I've done this test before. I've always got my way through it. And if this thing ends up being a distraction, it's just going to put me further behind. I'm going to end up working weekends and evenings. And, you know, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to be losing traction. Right. And right. So it's really just dealing with what I call real issues. I appreciate those issues. I uh, haven't gone through them myself in my own product development past. Right. And so it's just being open to those, myself being open to learn from them. Of, well, if you're going to resist this, tell me what your concerns are so we can deal with them. And we can't just say this DOE thing won't work. I try and get, and it usually takes some time for them to build up that trust. Um, but once they get that trust of communicating that I'll respond, those biggest resistors I have up front usually are the biggest proponents years down the road. Wow. Wow. That's great. Are, yeah, they'll actually be the ones telling coworkers and and other workmates, hey, you need to talk to Perry, you need to set up a DOE. I don't have the time to help you, but I know you need this. And I didn't think it was a good idea up front either. I'm sure you'll feel that way, but you need to talk to him and see if get this going because it really will help you. You know, Perry, it really seems like it's the difference between testing because you hope it'll pass and testing because you hope it'll 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 fail. You know, you were talking about people who have a set of tests that they they want to run. It's like a checklist. I just got to get through this list, as opposed to people who are really trying to figure out what the limits are. You know, what what is what are the where where can the failure occur? That's a great point as well, Tim. I think we sometimes in new product development can get very resistant to and not wanting to see failures happen. Mm-hmm. And it's it's always been credited to the Japanese, but I see them, U.S. companies the same way where they, they thrive on the failure. They desire it. They want to push to failure. IBM was a company that always talked about that of, you know, if you want to have more success, you need to fail faster. Right, right. Um, I remember that. Double our failure rate kind of thing. I think that was Tom Watson that said that. Yeah. And so I think it's, in particularly in a DOE, you need to have, I call some poor performing output and some okay performing output. So with the empirical outputs, you can predict better performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, a traditional uh, new product development testing, you're only as good as your last test. With DOE, you can actually predict a better performing area. My very first ever DOE was at the General Motors Research Labs on a painting process. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we found. We we did, I believe it was 18 test panels with a spray gun in a lab environment, predicted where we thought the best area would be. We did six confirmation panels, and they were all better than the best of the 18 DOE panels. Wow. And and then that translated, most importantly, that translated into the manufacturing process when you went into producing the actual cars on the assembly line. That's where that's where it has to uh, it has to pay off, you know. Yeah, no pun intended, but that's where the rubber meets the road. <laughs> I was just thinking that. <laughs> 
you know, it, it really does seem that we were talking before about the, the different industries where the cost of product fit, fit failure is really high. You were talking about uh, pacemakers earlier. Um, but shouldn't companies in other industries be using DOE as well? And I, I guess, Perry, I'm especially thinking about smaller companies that have a limited budget for product development. Well, exactly, Tim. I think with with a limited budget and limited schedule, um, you know, trying to get things to market quickly, I think it's even more vital in a smaller company because they have less tolerance for failure, mm-hmm. you know, at Good least point. market failure of their, their product. Uh, they need that income. They need to have that positive response from the customers because there's other people just like them out there, you know, with new ideas and who's going to get that traction first. So I think it's actually more vital almost in a smaller company to use it just for a competitive advantage. That makes sense. And as much as I've talked about, you know, auto industry and defense industry and medical device, which are some of my big areas of my own personal past, a lot of my clients, um, I'm seeing some very interesting clients, which obviously I can't say much about, sure. but in industries outside of that, that are just going to do breakthrough things because their industry isn't, um, in that learning mode yet, but this particular organization is. And I've seen them do some things and think in ways and get that empirical knowledge early that is driving decisions and um, changing their whole development plans by getting that deeper understanding earlier. I guess the key is just being open to uh, to new techniques or, or new ideas and you know appreciating the fact that it really can help you in time to market and cost. Exactly right. I think it's knowing that there's an advantage. It's not a, you're not paying a penalty for this more information. You're actually doing things efficiently that can raise your own company's level of performance. That's great. Perry, thanks for joining us today and sharing your insights. Oh, yeah. Again, Tim, I appreciate the opportunity to, to share some of these ideas and you invited me to this forum. I look forward to I've enjoyed others that have been on the program and very, very proud to be a a part of it myself. That was Perry Perendo, founder of Perry's Solutions. For more information about Perry's Solutions, go to perrysolutions.com. That's P-E-R-R-Y-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. This is Tim Rogers. Thanks for listening.